Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Mission Church, back together again. Happy Sunday. Hey, uh, NBA playoffs are about to start. I need to make my prediction real quick. Clippers over Bucks in four. They're going to sweep it, okay? You heard it here. Print it. Write it. It will be up on the website, but that's my prediction. Sorry, uh, Joe Little, about the Lakers. They just, they're just, I don't even know if they're going to get out of the second round. We'll talk about that later. Let's go to the message. Okay, so if you're brand new <laughs> to Mission Church, I'm a sports fan, but I love Jesus way more. And we're in the middle of a series titled The Making of a Great Disciple. The Making of a Great Disciple. And this series, I don't think it's uh, just a series for this month. I think it's a series for our church for the long haul. Um, I really believe this, that I don't want to be an okay disciple. I don't want to be a good disciple. I want to be a great disciple. And not only that, I don't want to attend an okay church. I want to be part of a great church. And a great church isn't made up of convenient Christians. It's made up of disciples who say, my life's being, my purpose is to build God's house and to change the world. I want to read you the verse we've been reading, and you'll hear it basically every week, and I hope that's okay. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, it's the great commission. It is the mission God gave to the church. It is the mission, the missio, why we're on this planet. Are you ready? Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Oof. Um, I don't know about you, but Rachel and I have bought a handful of cars in our life. And the worst car we ever bought was a Jeep Liberty. This thing was ranked 20th out of 20 out of midsize SUVs. They don't even make the car anymore because it's such a piece of junk. Well, we first get married. First thing we do is we buy a car. We go to CarMax. And again, this guy, maybe not a bad guy, but he's a car salesman. And all he wanted to do was get this car in our hands and sell it and just have us drive off the lot. So he doesn't tell us anything. Doesn't tell us that it has the worst uh, MPG out of all the midsize SUVs. It's like 10 miles per gallon. Like Rachel literally thought when we bought the car, people were siphoning gas out of our gas tank because our tank would go uh, to empty so fast. That's how bad the MPG was. That's how bad it was. Not only that, but like 25,000 miles into this new car, it started shaking and you felt like the rods were stabbing the engine. We had to get rid of it. Here's the deal. Bad car salesmen, they don't care about what the cost will be on the back end. They just want you to say yes to it and then just move on. The problem is, is that when you look at the Bible, the Bible actually shows bad priests. It shows bad leaders. And these leaders would tell people, hey, just live this way and not tell them the cost of living this way. Hey, you can live for yourself and it won't cost you your life. The reality is, is that when you live for yourself and you choose the world over heaven, when you choose the world over Jesus, it will cost you everything. It says this in Jeremiah, one of the worst times in Israel's history. We're talking bondage. We're talking destruction. We're talking division. Just one of the worst moments in history. And here's one of the reasons why it was the worst moments. John 5, 31 says this. The prophets give false prophecies. So the prophets, the ones that should be speaking the word of God, the ones that should speak the, the truth of God, they're giving false prophecies. They're not even telling the truth. It says that the priests rule with an iron hand. If you study what that means, is all it's saying is that the priests were ruling with their own authority. They weren't acting under the authority of God anymore. They walked away from the authority of God and started acting on their own preferences, saying, this is the most important thing, not this. And it was never biblical. It was whatever they thought. Oh, when pastors start to lead with their own preferences, when pastors start to lead with their own iron hand, oh, it makes the church sick. It doesn't make great disciples. It makes convenient Christians. And here's how it finishes the, 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 the verse says, worse yet, my people like it that way. Oh, they loved hearing this false gospel. They loved hearing these 
false truths because they made them feel warm and fuzzy and made them not feel convicted to change. No, they didn't want to hear the cost of change. They didn't want to hear the cost of greatness. And the title of my message today is The Making of a Great Disciple. You ready for this? A great disciple understands the cost. A great disciple understands what it takes for greatness, what, it, what, what the price to be paid is to live the great life, to live a life that would change the world, to live a life that when you look back at your life, you say, man, I gave God everything I got. I've heard it said this way, that our job is not to fill other people's cups, it's to empty ours. That you can look back and say, I gave everything, I emptied out my life, that Jesus would pour in greatness and I would pour it out. He would pour in love and I would pour it out. These are the marks of a great disciple. This is what I love about Jesus. So he tells us to make great disciples. Not only does he show, tell us, but he showed us when he lived here on earth. His three years of ministry, you'll see him do this. When crowds would form, he was never allowing the crowd to dictate what he would teach. Because the mandate is not go make great crowds. The mandate is to go make disciples. Look at this in Luke 14. Jesus is the opposite of a bad car salesman. He's the opposite uh, of just uh, trying to uh, get you sold on Christianity and have you move on. He's not trying to sell you on Christianity. He's trying to change your life. So here's what it says in Luke 14. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Boop, I love it. This, the stage is set. Now let's just be honest. If we were, if, if we were meeting right now, and we had 5,000 people meeting at the Concord Pavilion, or we had a huge sanctuary, and we had, let's say, 10,000. We built this amazing building. 10,000 people are showing up. We look around and say, we did it. Woo, we did it. Look at, look at this. We, we nailed it. 10,000 people came on Sunday. And that would be the badge that Mission Church had did everything God called it to do. And the reality is, is that I think that Mission Church will be thousands. I think Mission Church will have more than one Mission Church in the Bay Area. I have a vision that Mission Church will plant other Mission Churches and that the least church region will be the most church region, that hundreds of churches would come out of this baby church plant that is two years old. But the reason why I believe that is not because we're going to make large crowds. It's because we're going to make disciples. Oh, may we never, ever gauge success off of large crowds. You could have 10,000 people attending on a Sunday, but only 50 people actually living the life God called them to live. And that's why Jesus says this at this moment to the crowd. He, he wanted this crowd to know the cost. That's it. He, didn't, he could have told them anything. He could have said, you guys are doing great. I love seeing you all hang out with me. You know what? He could have said this. You're doing better than you think you are. Which again, sure. But again, that's not what he said. Here's what he said. And turning to them, he said this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and their mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. <laughs> Oof. Can I just say this real quick? He's not saying that you're supposed to hate your parents. It's a hyperbolic statement saying that your love for your parents and for your friends and for your spouse, it cannot be on the same level as your love for your Savior. If, if you love your kids more than your God, you're never going to be a disciple. Your kids are your master. If you love your parents more than you love your God, God will never be your guide and leader. He's saying to him, you're like, you won't be fit to change the world if you love something more than me. There must be a chasm on the type of love that you love me. And when you love me this way, you'll even love your wife better. That's what he's saying in this intense statement right there. Let's keep going. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be the, my, my, uh, my disciple. Ooh, he's telling us like, hey, just so you guys know, I'm not about you having comfort. I'm about you carrying your calling. I'm about you carrying what you need to carry. All of us are going to have to put some effort into this change the world thing. Again, effort, God is not against it. He's against earning. He goes on to say, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? 
For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask the terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Give up everything? Oof. Can I just, we're going to get back to that last statement. People who are living great lives for the Lord understand the cost of giving up everything. I have a childhood buddy. Shout out, Joy Parker. We've been, we've been best friends since we were, gosh, I think we met when we were six years old, seven years old. And again, I have a handful of best friends that aren't best friends. They're brothers. They're family to me. And Joey's one of those people. He's a brother to me. He turned 38 years old this week. Happy birthday, Joey. I love you, baby. Uh, and I just started reflecting on Joey's life and who he is. And, and I want you to hear this real quick. Uh, we would um, start hanging out when we were 9, 10. And I remember going over to his house, and we played on the opposite of baseball teams. Uh, we were rivals on the baseball thing. And so I remember going to his house, and I think we we're going to play video games. And I remember opening up his garage. He's nine years old. He has a batting cage. He has all these little like things that helps him become a great baseball player at nine. There's like one where you would throw this little spinny thing up and there's different colors on the ball and you'd have to say the color and say, grab red. And you'd grab the red. I was like, right, is Mr. Miyagi like your baseball coach? Like, what is this? But since, since I've ever known Joey from a young age, Joey's always had this desire to be great at whatever he does. And so I remember going to his house and seeing all these gadgets and I would leave his house and I'd go home and play Super Nintendo. Joey went on to play college baseball. I went on to play church softball. A little bit of a difference, okay? Uh, now, again, uh, I, I'm not saying that I could even play college baseball, but I didn't even pay the cost Joey paid to go play college baseball at Pepperdine. Let, let, me, let me say it this way. Now that we're older, Joey's now a doctor in Seattle. And when we visit him, he'll have uh, the week off and we'll go to Starbucks in the morning and he'll have this medicine book and he's reading and taking note cards, learning about the newest ways of medicine, the, the newest uh, diagnosed things of, of people's bodies. To be honest, I really don't even know what he's saying. He writes down these little figures. I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. He wants to be the greatest doctor that he can be. There is a cost to greatness. And for me, watching people in my life, the, the sooner that I realize that if I want to be great at something, that there is a price to be paid. Can I just tell you? I'll never forget when I decided to give God everything. That, that statement, let's just say it real quick. Let's read again. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you, can, uh, you, can, you have cannot be my disciples. Can I encourage you for just a second? This kind of series, I had to process. Man, so many people are going to be like, I'm so discouraged. I can't be this great disciple. You're telling me to give up everything. Oh, how do I do this? Can I just unpack this real quick? Can I encourage you? Me giving up everything was the greatest decision of my life. I gave up my marriage. What do you mean you gave up marriage? My marriage is not my own. My marriage is for his glory. Do you understand what it means to give up everything? He's saying, you can't change the world to come to church on Sunday. I need your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I want everything in your life. I want every day. Oh, your marriage? I want your marriage. I want it to reflect my glory. Your job? It's not your job. Give me your job. Let it reflect your, uh, my glory. Oh, oh your, your, your offenses when you get wounded? Oh, may your responses reflect my glory. Jesus is saying, I want everything in your life. Those kind of disciples will change the world. Can I encourage you? You can do that. I think sometimes we, we make this lofty thought, oh, I can't do it. Can you give God today? 
Can you give him today? Can you give him your, your, your wounds and use it for his glory? Can you give him your marriage and say, God, may, my, may this marriage be for your glory? Can you give him your kids and say, Lord, I give you the, these kids and me as a parent, and may I raise them and may I reflect your glory. I give you everything. That's what it means to be a great disciple. That's the cost of it. When you hold back from God, and you just don't know how good God is. I, I gave God everything. Can I say something real quick? I got a great marriage. Yep, shout out to my baby boo. I love my marriage. I gave God everything. I remember when I raised my hand, I said yes to Jesus. I was golfing with some of my mentors this week at a little place called Pebble Beach. You maybe heard of it. It's the top five course in the world. I grew up on food stamps. I grew up poor. I never thought I would golf anything more than a muni course. I never thought I'd even own a pair of golf clubs. I was sitting there, and I was telling all my buddies, uh, my mentors, I said, who knew when I was 18 years old in the second row in a church in Puyallup, and I said to Jesus, I'll go anywhere and everywhere. I'll do anything for you, God. That that meant I'd be able to go Pebble Beach. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, is some of you think that when you say, God, here's my whole life, it's going to be the worst decision of your life. I've been on the greatest adventure of my life ever since I said yes. Oh, God cares about the little gifts. A gift of going to play a, a course like Pebble. He cares about the little gifts, having those moments with your spouse. He cares about the little gifts of you finding your purpose and actually being fulfilled. If I could just put it this way, the people that don't understand giving up everything, it's like somebody who's like a mirror. Picture yourself if you're a mirror. And this mirror thinks that they're the ones that can make life great. A mirror is not great until it has the right thing in front of it. You put the wrong, wrong thing in front of a mirror, nobody's even look at the mirror. But you put the most beautiful object on the mirror, Oh, how bright and powerful that mirror can be. Let me, let me, let me encourage you real quick. So how? How can you become great? How can you become great? Here's, here's the gift God gives us to actually uh, become great. I want to encourage you, because I think another reason why people get discouraged is they think they have to do in their own strength. Let me, let me read you this in 2 Peter 1, 3-4. We read it last week, but I just can't get past it. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. He's given you everything you need to be a great disciple. And it's not through your own power. A lot of you are discouraged because you think you have to do it in your own power. You think you have to get this done in a week or a month or a year. Can I just tell you, it's going to take your whole life of you surrendering and letting his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to literally develop the fruit of the Spirit in life, to lead you, guide you, to take out the wounds, to take out the, the gunk of the world, and to sanctify you and make you everything that God called you to be. It's really this bittersweet kind of feeling, if I'm being honest, where you, where you get so encouraged, you're saying, okay, hold on a second, Tyler. You're telling me that I can radiate the glory of God. You're telling me that I could have the greatest life and live the greatest adventure and be this great disciple. It's like telling a caterpillar they can be a butterfly. I, they just don't see it. They don't feel it. Oh, but if you, if you would commit to the process, the cost of the process, oh, it's this amazing thing. Call me silly, but I believe it's, it's possible. Tell me, tell me I'm wrong. I'm, I'm sorry. Read the book of Acts. I'm not wrong. God will take the most feeble, grossest people and make them the most fierce, most beautiful people. This is what he does. I'll show you he takes his divine power. There's a guy named Peter who is just this, not a very good person. He's a fisherman and he's fearful. And then God takes him and transforms him to reflect his glory, and he's bold, and he's one of the disciples that changed the world. He took a feeble fisherman and transformed him. Paul, oh, he takes a guy like Paul who's a murderer and who's literally killing people, and he takes that person and makes him a masterpiece. What kind of God does this? If you were somebody, I, I can't say, I know for a fact you're going to watch this message, and some of you are going to say this, Tyler, 
I get it, you're telling people you're gonna be a great disciple, but you don't know my past. You don't know my weaknesses. You don't know my struggles. You don't know my wounds. You don't know what I'm carrying. You don't know about me. You just don't tell me, you just don't get it. When you start to make your past bigger than his power, it's over. When you start to make your struggles bigger than his power and his assignment, it's over. Start making his divine power. Here, I want to read you a quote. I believe every church is either supernatural or superficial. Quote Leonard Ravenhill. He was an evangelist that really believed that the church could become like the church in Acts. That it didn't have to be some superficial thing on Sunday, but they could have supernatural disciples that loved not of this world. They could have supernatural disciples that would actually do things that nobody ever saw. He, he believed that the book of Acts was not just for a group of people for 50 years, but the same Holy Spirit that transformed those people could transform you and I. I believe it too. We're either going to have a superficial church at Mission Church, or we're going to have a supernatural church at Mission Church. Man, I want supernatural disciples. Man, I, I, I want to understand that in my own life, that I'm not going to be able to get over my hurts, my hangups, my addictions with my own strength. And I need to understand that this is going to take my whole life for the rest of my days, saying, may your divine power transform me from this ugly, angry person who is selfish and prideful to this selfless servant that radiates your glory. That when people look at my life and say, man, how did that life happen? Oh, that I would say, I gave everything to God. This mirror, reason why it looks the way it is and the reason why it radiates the way it is, it's not because it's, it's using its own power to radiate. It's reflecting the glory of God. Oh, may, may we be great disciples and reflect the glory of God. Can I pray for us? That was my intro, and we're 18 minutes in. Let's see what happens. God, I thank you. Oh, I thank you that you have called us. Oh, God, you, you, you took the bar and you raised it to Jesus. You said this is the bar of your life, to be the most loving to be the most passionate, to be the most powerful, to be the most authoritative, to be the most sacrificing, to be the one that suffers well, that responds well, that would give their life away. Lord, may we say yes to that bar. May we say yes to that aim that Jesus said, you can have what I have. You can do even greater things. Well, Lord, we believe that promise with faith today. Oh, may we make great disciples at Mission Church. And everybody said, amen. Uh, you know you're uh, preaching when you start to sweat. All right, hey, I'm burning calories. Here we go. So a great disciple knows the cost, that knows the cost. I wanna, I, wanna, uh, I wanna talk about two things today that I don't know if I've ever really talked about at length before. One is obedience, and the other one is money. Don't turn it off, it's gonna be good, I promise. So obedience, it's this interesting uh, thing throughout scripture that God really desires from us, and it's a necessity. Um, I don't know about you, but have you guys noticed, like right now in, in culture, uh, we hear this term a lot, essential and non-essential? Well, that's an essential business. That's a non-essential business. What I'm realizing when I read the Bible, that there are these things that we have deemed non-essential, that God has said, this is essential. Obedience is not a, nah, maybe I should be obedient today and not. No, obedience is an essential attribute of a great disciple. There's a cost to obedience. There is, a, uh, there is a price to be paid to saying yes to Jesus when it's not convenient. There is a cost to saying I'm staying planted when I want to move. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not going uh, with the world's current. I'm not going to go with the mob. I'm staying where the word of God tells me to stay. I want to read you uh, a verse real quick. Jeremiah 15. This is how the Lord responds. Here's what happens when you're obedient. Obedient people don't get influenced by the world. They influence the world. Jeremiah 15. This is the mandate the Lord says to uh, one of the leaders in the Old Testament. This is how the Lord responds. If you return to me, I will restore you so you can continue to serve me. If you speak good words rather than worthless ones, you will be my spokesman. 
Oh, I pray that there would be spokesmen that would raise up in this season. People that would be unashamed to say, man, we're supposed to love differently. We're supposed to respond differently. We're supposed to uh, serve differently. We're supposed to pray differently. Oh, I pray that we have those kind of spokesmen that would rise up. And here's what he says. You must influence them. Do not let them influence you. Oof. I want to read you a Charles Spurgeon quote. I believe that one reason why the church of God at this present time has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. Can I say that again real quick? I believe that one reason why the church of God at this present time has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on my way to be an Instagram influencer. I have 980 followers. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's been a great journey. Started with zero uh, about three years ago. Um, and I don't even know really what it means to be an influencer, but I understand the importance of it to the businesses in America. Here's what I mean by that. I'll meet people and they're like, oh, did you know that person's an Instagram influencer? I'm like, what does that even mean? Well, they have a ton of followers on their Instagram and companies pay them to post something so people will see it and then they'll go buy it because for some reason that person actually influences the way they live their life. I have one person that kind of does that to me once in a while, I got, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting better. It's Michael Jordan. If Michael Jordan posted like some kind of like sports drink that he loves to drink when he plays golf, I would drink it. I, it's just the reality of it. Like Michael Jordan it was the first influencer in my life. If Mike uh, dribbled with his uh, tongue out, I dribbled with my tongue out. This is just the reality of what Michael Jordan had over my life. He was an influencer in my life. When you say yes to Jesus, you should only have one influencer, one authority. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. And here's what he says about being the influencer in your life. He, goes, he says this, to the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. If you hold to my teachings, if my teachings influence your life, if my teachings transform your life, he says, you really are my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you hold to my teaching, you know what that word is? It's a Greek word, mino. Mino just means to stay put. It means to stay put. Can I just tell you real quick? The, the Psalm 1 I read last week, something I saw this week, and I just, there's a couple of verses I just can't get away from right now in the season. Psalm 1, it, it depicts a godly person and an ungodly person. And isn't it interesting how we describe it in church sometimes? Oh, that person, they're just, they're a great disciple. They don't do anything wrong. They go to church on Sunday and, you know, they're, they're just doing great. They're amazing. And so we have our bar in America of what a great disciple is. But really, if I could just tell you what a great disciple is and almost take the chasm of you not being able to do it, this is one of the greatest truths you'll ever have at the cost of what it means a great disciple. It's being planted in God's word. Here's, here's the description of a great disciple and not a great disciple. Another way you could say to someone is a godly person and an ungodly person. There's one thing that separates them in Psalm 1. Here's what it is. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. Oh, the joys of those who do not get influenced by the world. Oh, the joys of those who go, don't go on Instagram or CNN and Fox News and get influenced by the news and Instagram. Oh, the joy for those people. Can I just tell you the people that are influenced by CNN? Oh, they're all riled up. Uh, you know, I can't believe these people, these Republicans, what they're doing. I can't believe it. And the people on Fox News, I can't believe those looters. I can't believe they do these things. There's no joy in it when you're watching those things. It just stirs you up and gets you angry. Oh, the joy of the people that don't get uh, stirred up by the things of this world. It says, oh, the joy of those type of people. Or stand around with sinners or joining with mockers. Oh, there's so much mocking going right now. Oh, the mocking on our leaders and, and, our, and our president. And again, it's not even about your political view. Can I be honest? If you don't like Donald Trump, okay. But God doesn't call you to mock him. 
God doesn't call you to chop them at the legs. That's the, he calls you to do one thing, pray for them. What an idea, what a crazy thing. What, what if you actually prayed for the president to actually do what God would want him to do and break, has, have his heart break for what God breaks his? What if actually all 240 million Christians in America, however many there are, actually started just praying for our leaders? What would happen? Let me, let me, let me keep going with this. But they delight in the law of the Lord. Meditate on it day and night. My wife is recording, and she laughed at that joke, and so we got to kind of regroup real quick. <laughs> my girl thinks I'm funny. I like it. Marry somebody who laughs at your jokes, even though they're not that good. Shout out to my baby girl, camera, camera person one. Um, here's, here's what the separation of the great disciple and not great disciple, the godly and ungodly. You ready for this? Let's just keep it simple. The great disciple, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditate on day and night, Jesus says, those who hold to my teaching, Greek word, stay put in my teaching. My teaching influences everything about their life. When my teaching says, when somebody slaps you in the face, oh, you don't actually attack them back, but you actually love them instead of slap them back. Oh, those kind of ones will be great disciples. The kind of disciple that says, where Jesus says, hey, you must actually give your first fruit to my life. I shouldn't be a leftover. You must give me your life. Oh, those kind of disciples. Those are the ones that change the world. When Jesus has that kind of influence over your life, Say goodnight. When you become that obedient to his word, if he said it, you do it. So many Christians, if, I've, I've said this before, it's a Timothy Keller quote, but if you have a God that agrees with everything that you think, you may be your own God. You may be your influencer. Let me keep going. It says that these people who stay put, they're like trees planted along a riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their, the leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. Oof. But the people that are influenced like the world, here's what it says. But not the wicked, they're like worthless chaffs scattered by the wind. How many worldly ideas do we need to have in politics and in this world thinking that it's going to fix the world? All of these worldly ideas that are going to fix it, all these worldly political ideas that are going to fix the world and fix all these things, it's like a worthless chaff blowing left and right. Just do a little history. Start studying politics. Start looking a little bit at it, and you'll realize that I used to love politics. I used to love talking about politics until it became an idol like no other in America. And when you have an idol like politics thinking that it's gonna change the world, when you idolize, you demonize. So you idolize one side and you demonize the other. Oh, can we be a church that doesn't actually put our hope in our political leader? Doesn't mean that we don't vote, doesn't mean that we don't care about it, but that we would actually understand that the cost to greatness is not actually getting the right political movement, the cost to greatness is becoming a great disciple, changing your city, changing your family. Oh, through obedience, saying, I'm staying put in his teachings because I'm a real disciple. It makes me think of a, a revival that happened uh, in, um, <laughs> it's a revival that happened uh, in 1905 uh, in Wales, the Welsh revival. Evan Roberts was a young man and he just felt compelled to go preach the word. It's interesting that, you know, sometimes I, I, I say, man, I just love worship. I just wish we could worship on Sunday and that's it. The more and more I read God's word, the teaching of God's word is so important. His word does not return void. People need to be taught how to live. It's, it's something, Jesus was a teacher. It says that when he would teach, the house would be so full. There's, there's something powerful with teaching. So Evan Roberts felt like he was compelled to go teach. And he had these four things that he called the people to do in this revival. This was the four kind of pillars of this revival. The first one was simply this. Confess all known sin. Receiving forgiveness through Jesus Christ. It was, hey, confess your, repent. 
for the kingdom of God is near. Repent and get saved is the first one. So he's just saying, oh, confess your sin. It's one of those moments in your life where you realize you got to confess it. Lord, I am a ugly caterpillar that wants to be transformed into a butterfly. I am selfish. Oh, but will you make me selfless? Oh, confess it to God. God, I am an angry person. Oh, I am an offendable person. Oh, I, I do. I respond wrong. Confess it to God. That was the first thing that, 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 that uh, was their, their pillar. You'll see that about the Bible. You'll see Jesus always saying that for us to actually have real salvation, we must understand that we're more sinful than we ever dare believe, but we're more loved than we ever dare hope. Quote Timothy Keller. Let's keep going. Second thing he says, this he says, remove anything in your life that you're in doubt or feel unsure about. AK, all he's saying is all these other like sideways energy things in your life that you don't know if you should be doing, just remove them. If God didn't tell you to do it, get rid of it. Third thing he said was this, be ready to obey the Holy Spirit instantly. AKA, be led by the Holy Spirit. It says in Romans that the child of the children of God are led by the Spirit of God. So people who are actually going to change this world, disciples, are going to see themselves as sons and daughters, and God is going to be their, their, their leader. And fourth, uh, fourthly was this, publicly confess the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell people about Jesus. Tell them that Jesus changed your life. All this is is them working out their salvation. It reminds me of the verse in Philippians 2, uh, verse 12. It says this, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Oh, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Here's what it's saying. It doesn't say for you to work your salvation to work for your salvation, it's saying to work out your salvation. Can I just say this way? The gospel is not just about salvation. The gospel is about transformation. And so really what's happening with obedience, if I could just put, put it this way, I, and again, like, I love the spiritual moments in my life. I, when I got saved, I bawled my head off for two hours. The presence of the Holy Spirit, undeniable. I've seen the Holy Spirit do amazing things in my life. But the things that have had me grow, the things that have made me a great disciple, is through his, the power of spirit, me actually being disciplined in the things that he added to my life for me to work out. It says in Philippians 2.12, continue to work out your salvation. Don't work for it, but work it out. Here's what it means. It me Let's use a baking illustration. I think this is the best way uh, to unpack it for you. A picture a bowl, and you throw the flour in, you throw the butter in, you throw the chocolate in, you throw a little bit of like, you know, um, heavy cream in, you throw some sugar in, and somebody gave you these ingredients to make the greatest cookie on the planet. The greatest cookie you're ever going to taste. All the ingredients are in the bowl. You're, you're, you're halfway there. You're halfway there to the greatest cookie ever. It's in the bowl. Imagine if you just let the bowl sit there. And you didn't mix the butter in. You didn't work the butter in, if you will. You didn't work the chocolate in. You didn't work the heavy cream in. You didn't work the eggs in. You wouldn't be able to actually make the greatest cookie in the world. And what it's saying to work out your salvation is this, is add discipline to your life. Work it into your life. Prayer, it's in, the, it's, it's in the bowl. Work prayer into your life. Be obedient to prayer. You're supposed to pray daily. Be obedient to it. the word of God. Work the word of God into your life. You start mixing all these things. It's saying work out your salvation. It's as you work it out and you mix all the things together. Oh, then God puts that in the oven and it makes the greatest disciple. The ingredients God gave you to be the greatest disciple, you have everything you need. He gave us everything we need, it says in 2 Peter, to live a divine, supernatural life. But he gave us the job of stewarding to work all those godly things in our life. Man, if you want to be a great disciple, you're going to understand the cost of obedience. I'm 31 minutes in, and I have about 30 minutes left in my message. And I'm going to pause. I'm going to, I'm going to preach next week on the second part of this. Um, 
because it's probably one of the weightiest things I'll ever teach on next week. And what I mean by that is just something I've never taught on, something I've never touched because it, that people are sensitive to it. I've been fearful to teach on it. I don't want to rush through it. So this week, Mission Church, I, I want to end with this real quick, is a lot of you think that you don't have what it takes to be a great disciple. No, you don't have what it takes. He has what it takes. No, you don't have the right recipe. He has the right recipe. Oh, may you work out your salvation this week. May you work prayer in this week. May you work forgiveness in this week. May you work generosity in this week. May you work the word of God uh, into your life and read it this week. May you work in prayer and quiet time. May you work fasting into your week. And as you work it out, oh, you're mixing the ingredients and you're on your way to making a great disciple. Work your, out your salvation, Mission Church. I love you. Can I pray for you real quick? Um, I think if somebody tuning in for the first time and not hearing the gospel, Welcome to the crash course of being a great disciple. Can I just tell you real quick? Uh, the reason why I said yes to Jesus was two things. One is, I knew in my heart that there was something missing. And I love how C.S. Lewis said it. If this hole in our heart, nothing in this world can fill it, we must be made not of this world. And you, if you felt that today, man, I've, I've looked and the world just can't satisfy what's in my heart. The reason why the world can't satisfy is that you weren't made for this world. You were made for heaven. And the only answer to that is saying yes to your Savior who created you and needed you for a purpose. If you want to say yes to salvation today, you want to say yes to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to do a handful of things. One is, tell the people you're with, I said yes to Jesus today. I want, I want to get saved. I want, I want to say yes to salvation. Not only do you want to say yes to salvation, you want to say yes to transformation. You want to say yes to the cost of being a great disciple. If that's you, you want to say yes to that, tell the people around you and have them pray with you. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. If there's nobody with you, Oh, text somebody. There's nobody there. Say in the, in, the, in the chat real quick saying, yes, I say yes to Jesus today. And we're going to have a pastor follow up with you. If you want to go on our website, you can say, I said yes, and we'll follow up with you. Saying yes to Jesus is the greatest decision of your life. You just said yes to filling up the bowl with all the ingredients. And now you get to work it all out. Oh, I'm so excited for you. Mission Church, I love you. I'll see you next week of Making Great Disciples. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.